0: Hello, this is Alistair welcoming you to the 2336th edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper. Dateline, 23rd of March, 2023. The readers this week are Alistair, Anne, and Chris, with Dem on the controls. The editor was Group D, and the production and distribution team is Group D. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Trilli, Ferdinand Bouillon, Harry Brewer, and performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and Dispatch, and the Over 50s Forum, and are their copyright. The events information has been collated by us from other sources. The lead story this week, community groups praise for earthquake response. Before we have one or two special news items and notices, first the sunrise and sunset times for the week beginning the 27th of March are sunrise 06.49, sunset 19.23. Do get in touch with us. To share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Imperial Talking newspaper, please phone Diane Jersey on 07899 854 582. She is the listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. Now, Anne will read the first item of local news. This is the leading article from the
1: Dispatch for this week. It's Community Groups Being Praised for Vital Role in Earthquake Response by James Cracknell. The incredible response from Enfield's community groups to devastating earthquakes in Turkey has been praised by local political leaders. Groups representing Enfield Borough's Turkish-speaking community, thought to be the largest in the UK, sprang into action within hours of the twin earthquakes hitting south-central Turkey and northern Syria last month. In just one week, two lorries and a van... Had arrived in the affected areas after being loaded with warm clothes and blankets at the Enfield Alevi Cultural Centre in Great Cambridge Road, run by the British Alevi Federation. Fundraising efforts were also led by other groups and schools across the Borough, including Eldon, Eldon Primary School, which held a non-uniform day and a sweet sale to raise cash. The large Alevi and Kurdish communities living in Enfield were particularly impacted as the quake struck regions of Turkey where many have close friends and family. Among those to lose relatives in the earthquake was former Enfield mayor Ali Bakur, who is originally from the city of Elbistan, where around 80% of buildings were destroyed. Ergin Erbil, the deputy leader of Enfield Council, whose family also hails from one of the affected areas, has paid tribute to local people who helped assist with the mammoth relief effort. He told the dispatch... Enfield is home to vibrant and large Turkish and Kurdish-speaking communities, many of whom have family ties and links to the regions impacted by the earthquake. The Turkish and Kurdish-speaking communities of Enfield sprang into action. Through the leadership of community organisations such as the British Alevi Federation they have raised much needed funds and have packaged and transported donated items to victims of the earthquake. Councillor Erbil said he and other councillors had frequently visited Turkish and Kurdish speaking community organizations in Enfield since the earthquake struck on the 6th of February. He added, we witnessed the large number of volunteers and community members actively involved in supporting victims of the earthquake. Many of the volunteers and leaders of the community organisations have not even had a chance to mourn their loved ones who have died. Enfield's active community organisations have once again proved their vital role and I remain proud of their work. At time of going to press, the official death toll from the 7.8 magnitude earthquake and its strong aftershocks was approaching 50,000, making it the deadliest in the region for many hundreds of years. Enfield North MP Ferial Clark, who was born in Turkey, writes in her latest column for the dispatch on page 6, while the international response to this disaster has been immense, the community response in Enfield and across North London has been incredible. It has touched me the most. I spent that Monday, the 6th of February, at an LAV community centre in Enfield. Seeing families there talking to loved ones and watching via a WhatsApp video call, while families tried desperately to dig through the rubble, it was heartrending. As well as donating money to trusted local groups, the council is encouraging residents who wish to help the relief effort to donate money via the official disasters emergency committee, the DEC fundraising appeal, which is linked to international support groups. It said that. Because there had been an incredible response from Enfield residents donating items at local collection points, many were at full capacity and were unable to take further items. To help people in Enfield who are now unable to return to Turkey, the Council has also set up a dedicated resource within its refugee support team to provide help and advice. This includes housing issues, family support, mental health and help with accessing other relevant services, as well as contacting embassies and consulates in the UK.
2: From the Enfield Independent, New Centre aims to reduce youth violence. A new community hub and church. That works to end youth violence will officially open this weekend. Residents, local councillors and community organisations will attend the grand opening of GCM Community at 396-398 Hartford Road Enfield on Saturday. The registered charity and faith group has campaigned to reduce youth violence in Enfield S S A V E schools against violence in Enfield and performing arts group Young Ritz, which has staged performances at the Millfield Theatre as well as educational workshops. The new centre is close to Enfield Heights Academy and Durant School and the launch is to celebrate that the group now has a base in Enfield. Where it can continue its work. GCM Community is currently supporting victims of the Turkey and Syria earthquakes via coffee mornings and drop in centers for anyone wanting to talk and grieve, with counselors available for support. Visit www.gcm.community.org or call 0208 062 8689
0: for information. GPs are cornerstone of NHS. Enfield finds it hard to attract new GPs, and the pandemic has made a bad situation worse. We all know that Enfield has long been short of GPs, It's not the most appealing borough for fresh new entrants to north-central London for a number of reasons. Lack of clinical infrastructure, for onward referral, too many out-of-date and poorly equipped premises, cost of housing and increasing workload among them. As the numbers dwindle through retirement, emigration and cutting down days of work, for example, morale dips and pressure to leave the profession altogether or move to the private sector, builds. Central government has made promises but done little about effectively addressing recruitment and training of new GPs, or taken steps to retain the workforce, and some newspapers have indulged in GP bashing, putting extra pressure on GP surgeries, sometimes in the form of aggression to staff and GPs alike. The pandemic has made a bad situation worse. Not surprisingly, The Enfield CCG has been unwilling to estimate just how serious our shortfall is, but to be fair, they are looking at a very fast-moving decline. Given that GPs have been the first port of call for diagnosis, medical advice, treatment and referral, the very cornerstone of the NHS, this is serious, not least because it drives patients to A&E and alternative, but not necessarily reliable, Practitioners. One great positive has been our urgent treatment centres, which have been a very welcome addition to our facilities, though unfortunately too often oversubscribed. To add to our woes, the British Medical Association has just released the results of a survey of members carried out in November to December 2022, revealing that four out of ten junior doctors, that's hospital based practitioners, want to quit. And with nurses and others taking industrial action as a last resort, patients or potential patients may be facing a very challenging few months as waiting lists soar. Winter pressures build, staff shortages worsen and the an under-resourced service comes under further strain. All the more reason to make absolutely sure we're up to date with all our jabs. Flu as well as Covid top-ups. The latest flu virus is a tough customer, and we now have RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, a common cause of pneumonia, and bronchiolitis, airway inflammation to contend with, along with our heating bills. The forum wishes you all a good 2023. May you keep safe, well and warm, and out of doctor's surgeries and hospitals, unless of course you're waiting to get in. A
1: person has died when they were hit by a train. Emergency services rushed to Enfield Lock Station on Sunday night at 11.30pm to report of a casualty on the track. The British Transport Police says the person was pronounced dead at the scene. A A spokesman said... The incident is not being treated as suspicious and a file will be prepared for the coroner. After the incident, National Rail issued an alert at 11.55pm that a person had been hit between Tottenham Hale and Chesant, which then resulted in all lines on the Greater Anglia and Stansted Express being blocked. It was said that there was disruption to the service for the rest of the night. If you feel affected by what has happened and wish to find support, you can contact the Samaritans on 116 123 via the phone for a confidential chat or email joe at samaritans.org.
2: From the Enfield Borough Over 50s Forum newsletter, Plan for Local Housing. The forum is urging Enfield Council to ensure the housing needs of older people are included in the new local plan. The current local plan is not delivering enough affordable housing, admits Brett Lee, Director of Planning and Growth Enfield Council. In fact, the whole plan is not fit for purpose. He told a forum members' meeting at the Civic Centre that there is a general requirement that 35% of any development must be affordable homes. However, it all too often happens that developers later say that it is not viable and can end up providing 10% or even less. The new local plan will close down that viability loophole, he said. It makes sure the viability test is done before permission is given for development. The local plan covers both hard and soft infrastructure. Hard infrastructure includes such things as buildings, schools, roads and public transport. Soft infrastructure covers more indefinable factors, such as supporting residents, especially those in disadvantaged communities, promoting child-friendly areas and helping stop crime. Mr Leahy said Enfield currently fails in all four statutory performance measures set by government to meet housing needs for the community, and it is getting worse year on year. The greater the negative number becomes, the more diminished weight the current local plan has. This means it is harder to refuse planning for developments. The good news is that by updating the local plan, the slate will be wiped clean and Enfield will have policies to better shape developments. He explained that the general strategy is to utilise brownfield sites first and to have greater development in town centre locations, but this policy does not exclude developments on the Green Belt. Members of the forum asked about his statement that one of the aims is to have more family homes, when many older people are seeking to downsize but find it very difficult to buy a smaller place. He acknowledged that it was very expensive, with the average price for a two-bedroom flat in Enfield over £500,000, which highlights how broken the system is. Members also expressed concerns about the number of plans which include tower blocks, as much as 30 storeys high, and the possibility of redeveloping the Cruise Hill nursery areas. Mr Leahy says the council is keen to engage with residents to hear their views, though others would say it is doing so only because of huge pressure from local groups. The council will be publicising the programme for the local plan in March and information is updated on the council website. The forum is sending Mr Leahy a letter with a series of questions about proposals in the local plan, including these three. 1. What proportion of newly built homes are appropriate for older people who wish to downsize and so release larger homes for young families? 2. What provision is being made for genuinely affordable specialist accommodation for those older people who need more care and for retired residents who are not homeowners? And three, how will the local plan help mitigate against increasing extremes of weather caused by climate change, something which disproportionately affects
0: older people? Park's new community hub takes shape. A long awaited community hub for First Farm has taken one big step forward, but more money is needed before it can be opened to the public. After eight years of planning and fundraising by the charity Friends of First Farm, the park's new modular community hub arrived on site last month. The £300,000 raised to date, a combination of individual donations to the crowdfunder. Grants from various other charities and support from Menfield Council has enabled the building to be erected and installed. However, the total fundraising target has had to be increased because of rising costs and another £40,000 is still needed to pay for the fit-out of the building, which is set to include a cafe, changing rooms and toilets and rooms for hire by the community. Helen Osman, a trustee with Friends of First Farm, told the dispatch, There is a lot of excitement now we have got to this stage, but the costs have gone up exponentially. We are hoping, with a push, and if the community really gets involved, we can get over the next hurdle. We have done the hard work to get this building here, and now we need just a little bit more. Friends of First Farm chair Tony Greaver describes it as a trailblazing project and said planning for the hub first began in 2015. It has been a lengthy process, said Tony. It has been something the community has wanted for a long time and we have been driven by the community. If the last phase of the crowdfunding campaign is successful, the aim is to have the community hub fully opened by Easter. A concrete firm
1: was fined £175,000 after a worker was hospitalised for seven months due to a serious head injury. The man was struck on the head by a concrete pump's hose while working at a home in en- Enfield Avenue, Crouch End, for subcontractor Singh Will Mix It on March third, two 2019. The concrete pump operator, who was not qualified to operate the machine, was cleaning the hose after it had been used for a ground floor extension. The pump became blocked and a sudden release of pressure made the hose whip and strike him in the head. According to the Health and Safety Executive, HSE, he continues to have difficulties with his speech, memory and movement Years later, an HSE investigation found Sing Will Mix It failed to ensure workers had the necessary skills, knowledge, experience and training to carry out the work and also failed to have appropriate health and safety systems in place. The company, based in Larksall Road, Walthamstow, was fined 175,000 pounds and ordered to pay 75,000 pounds 700 sorry 75,722 pounds in costs at Southwark Crown Court on Wednesday, March the 15th
2: from Enfield Dispatch Enfield Community Heroes Sponsored by Edmonton Green Shopping Centre. Standing up for Ukraine, Evgenia Pozigan launched a hub for Ukrainians displaced by war. When Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February last year, Evgenia wanted to help but didn't know where to start. She had been living in the UK for 15 years while her family were still in Odessa and it was unclear what might happen to them. After a few weeks, Evgenia decided to do something to help those who had fled and were arriving in the UK as part of the government's refugee programme. Since last year, Evgenia has run the North London Ukrainian Hub From Trinity Centre in Enfield Town, I'm sorry. From Trinity Church in Enfield Town. It is open from 12 to 2 p.m. every Saturday, and offers a variety of support for Ukrainians in Enfield and beyond. Evgenia told the Dispatch, "I was trying to find a way to help, and for about a month I couldn't do very much." I was so worried, but at some point I thought, I can't just do nothing. So I decided to work with the local community and with Ukrainians arriving here. I didn't have an experience. I just wanted to help people get integrated here and find a job and meet other people in London. We didn't have a plan at first. We just started listening to people and very quickly they started coming to us. The church was very supportive of starting a Ukrainian community group, and we started The Hub. It is now a registered charity. People might come here monthly or perhaps once a week. They come not just for material help, but for the atmosphere and to talk to people. There are families with children so they like to meet up and make friends. The hub runs a variety of activities including English language classes and help accessing local services and other support, plus donated materials for people who are setting up into new homes. Between 20 and 30 Ukrainians attend each week with a larger online community of around 1,800 people on Facebook, Yevgenia adds, For every person we help, I am so happy for them. But I can't stop. I want to do more. I am very grateful to the English people who recently welcomed Ukrainians into their hearts. Go to google.com stroke view stroke. Trinity Church, Enfield, New, Stroke, Ukrainians in Enfield.
0: Developing theatre around the world. Chicken Shed senior creative producer Dave Carey on how the Southgate Arts Charity is helping to develop inclusive theatre models in different countries. Chicken Shed has been working internationally for many years, Sometimes in one-off projects, such as working with a rural girls' school in Shijiazhuang, China, and sometimes working with organisations to develop their own inclusive theatre models, such as Chicken Shed New York and Shed Helsinki. And all of these projects not only help us develop our practice and spread our ethos far and wide, They also give many of our young people the opportunity to meet and work alongside their peers from other cultures and countries. In January, a group of our first-year foundation degree students took part in a two-week exchange with young people from one of our Shed Link partners in Finland, Shed Helsinki. This was the second such exchange trip, and gave us the chance to really develop how our young people can engage internationally about inclusion in different cultural settings. During week one, young people from Helsinki travelled to our Southgate base to explore and create a short performance piece based around topics and issues that interested them. Cultural differences, food, education systems, music, youth, culture. From Monday to Friday, we workshopped ideas, wrote songs, developed scenes and generally worked at a high and intense speed to develop a show that we could tour. Within this week, were also team-building trips to Hollywood Bowl and the scratch performance of the piece of At Finish... Within this week, we're also team-building trips to Hollywood Bowl and the scratch performance of the piece at Finnish Church, Rotherhithe. This gave us the chance to connect directly with the Finnish Embassy here in London and further strengthen the ties between our organisations. No sooner was the week here in London over before we were boarding a flight to Helsinki to take the fruits of our work on a tour of schools across Finland. We travelled to the cities of Turku, and Tampere, before returning to Helsinki to perform in schools and the theatre. Along the way, we took in cultural visits that really inspired our young people. This initiative gives an experience of life in another country and shows how inclusion, whatever the issues, remains a central part of all our work and approaches. For the young people from both communities, it became a journey of friendship and collaboration that really allowed them to explore in depth how the two groups approach theatre making. In the words of one participant, it really let me see how you can have inclusion all around the world. No sooner had I returned from Finland when my colleagues Matthew Lyons and Sarah Driver were boarding a plane to Bangladesh. Matthew and Sarah were invited to contribute to Theatre X's production of Swan World that was in development by the British Council and Sudip Chakraborty, Associate Professor of Theatre and Performance Studies at the University of Dhaka for the Women of the World event in Bangladesh held in February. This ongoing collaboration between Chicken Shed and Dr. Chakraborty has been developed over nearly 20 years since we first met as part of the Contacting the World Festival at Contact Theatre Manchester in 2004. It was a fascinating trip and an amazing experience working with so many young theatre and music artists to support the development of their production, and we look forward to many more years of collaborative work.
1: In the Enfield Independent this week, in the motoring section, there appears an article called Top Music and Travel Tips for Happy Hounds. Skoda UK and dog behaviourist and nutritionist Anna Webb have partnered together to create a playlist of songs scientifically proven to ease car travel anxiety in dogs, entitled Happy Hounds, available on Spotify. The playlist was created after research from Skoda revealed six out of ten dogs became anxious in cars. It also emerged that 75% of dog-owning drivers have been distracted on streets, lanes and motorways by the behaviour of their anxious dog. Dogs can become anxious in cars for many reasons, including the space being unfamiliar, hearing unusual sounds from the road and weather, the temperature being too warm in the car, previous bad experiences and motion sickness. Anna Webb's tips include ensuring your dog is comfortable in their harness before entering the car, starting with a music volume low at first and keeping the car under 20 degrees Celsius. Skoda's research, carried out amongst 1,000 dog owners, revealed 60% feel they must limit where they go on days out due to their dog becoming distressed in the car. While the problem affects most dogs in Britain, it seems a large percentage of people, 24%, have no idea how to ease their dog's discomfort. Overall, six out of ten owners said they had tried but failed to solve the issue. The playlist, Happy Hounds with Skoda, is available on Spotify. Anna Webb's Top Tips for Happy Hounds podcast is also available on Spotify. The Happy Hounds playlist has been devised by Anna Webb and formed based on her 20 years of expertise and includes No Woman No Cry, Bob Marley and the Wailers, Fly me to the moon, Frank Sinatra. Hound dog, Elvis Presley. The dogs of war, Pink Floyd. Stay, Rihanna. Knowing me, knowing you, ABBA. And here are some top tips from Anna Webb for keeping your dog comfortable in the car. Acclimatise your dog to its harness indoors, using treats and chews as a reward. Gradually build on the length of time they spend in the carrier each day, ensuring they are totally comfortable. Once happy, you're ready to enter the car. Ensure their experience getting into the car is comfortable. So you may need to use a ramp, or gently lift them into the car. When in the car, let your pet settle before turning the engine on. This may take a few attempts. Bring the playlist into the mix at a low volume and keep the engine off. Don't reward anxious behaviours with eye contact or speech. Keep sessions short. Around 10 to 15 minutes. Now, combine the above, turn the engine on, but remain stationary. Gradually build the time you spend in the car with the engine on. Once content, you're ready to get moving. Begin with short journeys and lengthen gradually. When getting to longer journeys, plan with your dog in mind factor in comfort breaks every two hours and plan a route with dog-friendly services or walks. Remember to keep the car at a cool temperature under 20 degrees Celsius as your dog's body temperature is 2 degrees higher than a human. Finally, dogs can smell stress in our sweat and breath. So make sure to use the playlist to keep up positive vibes.
2: Thank you. Well, I suppose it was inevitable that ABBA was going to be there. (laughs) From the Enfield Dispatch. Council tax rising by 5% as big budget gap looms. Civic Centre scrambling to plug five-year budget hole of £65 million as debt payments and inflation hit council coffers. Council tax bills in Enfield will rise by almost 5% from April as the Civic Centre faces a number of financial challenges to balance its books. The 4.99% hike is made up of a 2.99% increase in core council tax and a 2% rise in the levy used to fund adult social care. Together with an expected 9.74% increase in the Greater London Authority's own council tax precept, the hike will push up annual bills for average-size Band D homes by £114.40 during the 2023-24 financial year. The planned council tax increase signed off by the Labour Administration last month comes after the Conservative government gave local authorities new powers to raise council tax by 4.99% without holding a referendum. Previously, councils had to ballot residents if they wanted to hike bills by more than 2.99%. At a scrutiny meeting in January, council officers revealed that an extra three million pounds from the revenue budget will be used to pay down debt during twenty twenty three-24, taking the total annual repayment on the council's one billion pound sterling debt to twenty six point six million. It also emerged that although the twenty twenty three-24 budget will be balanced. The Council is still facing a major dilemma over how to plug a 65 million budget hole that will appear over the next five years unless action is taken. Even though the Council will receive an extra 8.1 million in government grant funding in 23 24, in addition. To the increases in council tax and business tax revenue, this will still not be enough to cover forecast spending. Inflation alone is expected to cost the council an extra 21.9 million, which comes on top of the extra 6.8 million extra spending needed to cope with growing demographic pressures. At a Cabinet meeting last month, Tim Lever, the Council's Cabinet Member for Finance and Procurement, acknowledged the current financial situation for Enfield Council was very difficult because of the cost of living crisis and the impact of austerity and rising interest rates, which he blamed on the government but said the council had tried hard to limit the budget to be balanced and sustainable and that it was designed to protect the borough's most vulnerable residents. To bridge the gap between income and spending, 15.9 million of savings are proposed in 2023-24. The majority of cuts Some 5.3 million will be made to the adult social care department. This move sparked concerns during the January scrutiny meeting when officers revealed some staff reductions are being planned and at least one daycare centre could close. To raise an extra £380,000 the council also plans to hike fees and charge for a number of services. Conservative scrutiny panel member James Hockney said this would have a huge impact on a very wide range of people, particularly sports clubs and community groups. And he did not understand why the council could not reduce the amount it pays on consultants and solicitors, to avoid heaping on costs to residents. In response, Councillor Lever said there would be a modest increase in some fees and charges after they were reviewed on a case-by-case basis. Despite drawing down two million from its reserves in 2022-23, the council does not plan to use reserves to balance. The 2023 24 budget. Meanwhile, new investment plans include £600,000 to create a community law enforcement team to tackle crime and antisocial behaviour, and £1 million to fund the recruitment of extra children's social care workers. To read a full report. On the big council budget debate, which took place on 23rd of February, go to enfielddispatch.co.uk.
0: Ex Chelsea Star relishes role with Enfield Borough FC. Enfield Borough FC secretary Rene Mayer speaks to Michael Dewberry about the progress being made at the club. Former Premier League footballer Michael Dewberry has spoken about his role as an ambassador for Enfield Borough Football Club. Dewberry, born and educated in Enfield, had a 20-year career that included Chelsea and Leeds United and is keen for young players at the club to follow in his footsteps. I speak regularly with Marvin and Aaron Walker and Archer, co-founders of Enfield Borough, about ways that we can push the club forward. The great thing that Enfield Borough can offer is opportunity, and that is what everyone craves. We will push players to make the best of their talent, because if the players do well, it reflects well on the club. A pathway is there into the professional game, which shows that you don't necessarily have to go through a football league club's academy. This club has people with a vast experience and knowledge behind them. Manager Anthony McNamee also played top-flight football, while others played to a decent standard in the non-league game, and very few clubs at this level can offer that insight. I like the club's values and ethos, and really enjoy my involvement. The Enfield Borough production line continues to turn out fine young players. 15-year-old Elvis Elendu has just been signed by Cambridge United, while first-team goalkeeper Harry Cook has been on trial at the same club. Cook, only 16 himself, has been a regular between the posts since September and has produced a string of fine performances. This season, the club expanded its youth programme by increasing the number of teams from four to six, with age groups ranging from under 13 to under-18. Elvis has been signed straight from our under-15s, says Borough's chairman, Martin Walker. Last season, a number of our youngsters were signed up by both Cambridge United and Blackburn Rovers, so the professional clubs know what we do and have an eye on our talented young players. The club's link with the College of North East London through its college programme continues to prosper. The intention is that it will grow further with more teams being established for the 2023-24 season. Plans for the future are not confined to on-pitch matters. The hope is that the club will be able to return to the borough whose name it bears in the near future. Marvin adds, we are actively looking to have a ground of our own. While we're very grateful for the support and facilities that Wingate and Finchley provide for us. We have been away from Memphis for five years now, and there is no place like home.
1: Jane Maggs from Southgate District Civic Voice writes an article on what makes the area's tube station so special and celebrates ninety years of an iconic station. On the thirteenth of March, 1933, Southgate Station finally opened to passengers. For the people who had watched it taking shape, it seemed like an extraterrestrial craft had arrived to transform the small village of Southgate, which was even then still surrounded by fields, woods and farmland. The Piccadilly Line originally terminated at Finsbury Park, but it soon became clear this was a mistake. The campaign to extend the line gathered pace after the First World War until finally, in December 1929, plans were submitted and in 1930 work began. The stations on the Piccadilly Line, Extension, including Arnest Grove, Oakwood and Cockfosters, were commissioned by Frank Pick and designed by Charles Holden. Together, they promoted functional modernism for the new station designs, taking advantage of newly available materials. Our station is built in the streamlined modern style, using brick, reinforced concrete and glass. The circular building has a flat, projecting concrete roof and a raised central section that gives the illusion it is supported by the horizontal band of windows. The whole building is topped by a Tesla ball, set to be restored to its original gold colour in 2024. In their planning, Pick and Holden carefully considered the activities taking place around stations in order to influence their urban design. As a result, at Southgate, where the site was large enough, Bus lay by wraps round the station. Travellers could quickly transition between modes of transport, and the station became a focal point in the town. As a further benefit to travellers, shop units were included. As an echo of the cylindrical forms, it was proposed to include a small round florisks kiosk on the southeast lawn corner of Crown Lane and High Street, which would be converted to a plant nursery and seating area, complete with sculpture. Sadly, this enhancement to the original plans never transpired. Southgate Station is Grade 2 listed, having retained many of its original features. This makes it special as one of only five at this grade out of 272 stations on the underground network. According to Enfield Gazette on the 17th of March 1933, the first passenger train left Enfield West, now Oakwood, at 5.40am and carried about eight passengers, while another half-dozen or so joined the train at Southgate Station. After travelling to Piccadilly Circus, the Gazette reporter turned returned to Southgate in time for breakfast. They wrote that the underground trains were the fastest in the world, averaging 25 miles an hour. The service initially provided 131 trains each weekday, with 98 on Sundays. The coming of the Tube made Southgate fully accessible and the developers started moving in to complete its final transformation from village to suburb. The house building started slowly, but by 1934, planning applications were being submitted, and about 750 houses were due for completion by May 1935. This was just the beginning of Southgate's transformation over the next 90 years. So, what next for Southgate? The day the line opened passed quietly, apart from the intrepid Gazette reporter. So, 90 years later, Southgate District Civic Voice, SDCV, has teamed up with Transport for London and Enfield Council to mark the occasion. And on Sunday the 20, the 12th of March, some people came along, to the station to sing Happy Birthday and ride on a vintage bus, investigate the station's darker reaches and eat some cake.
2: Well, we're almost there. And if you fancy a drink, this is just the story for you. It's from the Enfield Dispatch, How Enfield's Pubs Got Their Unique Names. It's about a book by author Sam Cullen and reveals the fascinating story behind some of the borough's historic pubs. The most recent audit carried out by the Greater London Authority, published in late January, found there are 65 pubs across the borough of Enfield. In among the typical pub names like the King's Head and the Rose and Crown, there are also several with more original and intriguing names. These pubs feature in the book I wrote with my friend James Potts, What's in a London Pub Name, revealing the stories behind the names of 656 London pubs with several Enfield boozers featuring in the mix. First up, the Alfred Herring in Green Lane, Palmer's Green, run by J.D. Weatherspoon currently, but put up for sale in September. Alfred Herring was a second lieutenant in the First World War. After being surrounded with his men, he counterattacked, and held the advanced position for over 11 hours through the night. He kept encouraging his men to keep fighting, which gave them the morale boost they needed. Alfred was captured the next day and remained a prisoner of war for the rest of the conflict. In recognition of his bravery, Alfred won a Victoria Cross in March 1918. He was living in Palmer's Green when he was first called up in 1916, hence the naming of the pub. Next, the Gilpin's Bell in 4th Street, Angel Edmonton. This pub takes its name from the protagonist of a comic ballad written in 1782 by the poet William Cowper, called The Diverting History of John Gilpin. In Cowper's tale, Gilpin was a wealthy draper whose attempts to reach the Bell Inn in 4th Street to celebrate his 20th wedding anniversary with his wife were calamitous. His first attempt saw him unable to control his horse, which kept on going past the bell to end up in where? ten miles away. Trying to get back to the bell, the horse failed to stop again and took Gilpin right back to where he started, in Cheapside in the city. Various pubs in the area claim to be the bell from the poem, but sadly none of them now exist. The pub now called the Gilpin's Bell is relatively modern, dating from the late 1990s, but now earmarked for redevelopment. As well as being commemorated in the pub name, there is a stone statue of a bell on the opposite side of the street, carved with images from Gilpin's disastrous ride. The King and Tinker, in Webbs Lane, Enfield, derives its name from an Enfield hunting trip by King James I when he became separated from his entourage. He decided to grab a pint at this very pub and struck up a conversation with a tinker. Unaware of who he was talking to, the tinker asked who he was. James replied saying it would only be revealed when everyone else was hatless, leaving the tinker very puzzled. When the king's men caught up with him, they immediately removed their hats and the tinker realised who his new drinking buddy really was. The Occasional Half in Green Lanes, Bowes Park, opened in 1995 and formed part of a small collective of pubs, all with half in the title. Others included The Significant Half in Clapham Junction, The Better Half in Ealing and The Half and Half in Streatham. The Occasional Half Is the last one standing? Well, I hope that hasn't made you too thirsty.
0: We've reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So from the team of Alistair, Anne and Chris, and them on the controls, it's goodbye for now. Goodbye. 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 Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet Put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget you can call Diane De Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking newspaper on 07899-854-582.